0: Welcome to the University of Washington's Political Economy Forum. We bring together diverse scholars, policymakers, and citizens to discuss current public policy issues, to inform the public about them, and to find evidence-based solutions. Feel free to visit our website at uwpoliticaleconomy.com. We publish new episodes of this podcast every week. If you have questions or suggestions for discussion topics, please contact us on Twitter at Forum UW or email us at uwpoliticaleconomy@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Hello, my name is Nicholas Wittstock and I'm a Fellow at the UW Political Economy Forum. Today's episode is the first half of my conversation with Professors Letitia Arroyo Abad and Noel Maurer. Leticia is Associate Professor of Economics at City University of New York, Queens College and Noel is Associate Professor of International Affairs and International Business at George Washington University. We speak about the political economy of pandemics, specifically Leticia and Noel discuss their research on the 1918 Spanish flu epidemic and its effects on the United States, comparing that to COVID-19 in 2020. Um, This is really fascinating historical research and I'm sure you will enjoy this conversation just as much as I did. Um, in fact, our conversation ended up being so long that we decided to split it in half and the second part of our conversation will be published in the following week, focusing on a slightly different topic. But without further ado, I'll give you Leticia Arroyo Abad and Noel Maurer. Hello, Leticia. Hello. And hello, Noel. Greetings. Nice to have you here. Uh, a lot of um, academics have been drawing parallels between the 2020 pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, and the 1918 uh, Spanish flu epidemic in the United States. Uh, you also have a paper on that topic. Uh, what do you find, or what's your argument?
1: Well, you know, the the origin story of that of that paper is that we were just really uh, stuck, as many people in the world, you know, <laughs> we were, we were really bored and thought, like, "Hey." You know, there was another really big pandemic once upon a time, Uh, and there's also an election. So can we learn something from the past? You know, we're economic historians. We think that history matters. And we started our excursion into putting like too many data sets in one place. And uh, we just run all the regressions over and over again. And what we found is that the effect of the Spanish flu on the elections for gubernatorial and uh, house elections in the US in 1920. They and uh, the effects of the Spanish flu, yes, it did actually punish the incumbents, but it was the effect was tiny. Mm-hmm. How how satisfying was that?
2: It was not as satisfying as we <laughs> as we wanted it to be. I mean, on the one hand, we had a statistically significant result that held across different election types. Very that, precise. Yes, yes. Very yes, very precise that you just you couldn't kill. So that in November <laughs> of 1918 voters swung away from the incumbent and they swung away from the incumbent more the more Spanish flu deaths there had been in their county. And we, we, we couldn't kill that. So we, did, we were worried a lot about endogeneity, the idea that, that maybe some other variable was affecting both the swing away from either the incumbent governor or in the case of the house, the, the Democrats who were in control of the House of Representatives. So we 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 went on a mass search, massive search for instruments, and we found several pretty good ones.
1: Yeah, we we also just you know had a bunch of controls, you know, covariates. So it's not that we just run a simple correlation. So we tried to be as thorough as possible with the constraints of historical data, but we just uh, we were worried because we we our prior was like this this was massive. Spanish right. just was a really really pandemic and we thought that the electorate would have responded you know with much more oomph as McCloskey would say than uh, <laughs> that actually uh, it actually happened so that was worrisome, but so we just run robustness checks, we just did everything possible and we finished the paper before the 2020 election, so we were like, huh
2: one part of the paper that was actually in some ways more interesting, especially when we started to, to present it and shop it around, were people taking us to task on the history. Mm-hmm. The result was plausible to everyone. Okay, you, you have retrospective voting. Voters are looking in the rearview mirror. In this case, the rearview mirror isn't even really long because the election happens in the middle of a pandemic. We've got the second wave of, of, uh, of the Spanish flu hits around late August. And so by the time November rolls around, you're smack in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that the effect was small seemed believable to people. I mean, the Maryland governor's race is the only real race that we think was probably swung because of the pandemic, maybe a few really close house seats here and there. But the number of people who would just insist to us that things were true about 1918 that just weren't true was kind of astonishing.
1: So, so much so that we started. When we started presenting, we have a slide that is called "Fake News" about <laughs> the Spanish Flu pandemic. So, and they were basically in three buckets, right?
2: So, one of them is this idea, which we tracked down actually to a a throwaway interview by a, a guy named Barry, an excellent historian who's who's written. One of the most seminal historical works in the Spanish flu. But in an interview somewhere, he just tosses out that wartime censorship means that people didn't know that the flu was happening other than maybe in their locale because newspapers and radio didn't report on it. And that turns out to be
1: not true. So what we did (laughs) is uh, we scraped 495 uh, local newspapers and we just like, well, we, we told the computer to do this. Uh, <laughs> so to to look for uh, the word Spanish blue and all the synonyms, like grip. Uh, what Was it the Spanish lady?
2: The Spanish lady. Grip, uh-huh. grip but also grip with two Ps and A.
3: Yeah,
1: so, and we just looked, I and mean, in order to figure out whether that was prominently shown in mm-hmm. the news and headlines or newspaper, we just did a benchmark. So the benchmark was war.
2: World War One is still going on. Exactly. Right, right, right.
1: And what we find is that initially just, you know, the the ratio was pretty low between Spanish flu and war, but as the pandemic just spread as wildfire throughout the country, just we find much more uh, mentions of the Spanish flu in newspapers, and it actually peaks like on the first and second week, uh, the second or third week of October, uh, just right before the elections. So this idea that, People did not know that Spanish flu was happening around them, or just say uh, nearby, or just far away. That is completely false. Actually, just it were really just it really figured prominently in headlines. You know, in terms of mentions, you know, throughout newspapers, a number of issues. No matter how you cut or slice it, this was news, real news.
2: It just pushes the war off the front pages, <laughs> and then you can add to that, which fits into the second bit really well, which is that government didn't respond. This, is, this one was odd. People, at least scholars uh, in political science, because I think of COVID and the, the debates over the, the efficacy of lockdowns and other kinds of what are called non-pharmaceutical interventions, they had some idea that state and local governments did respond to the pandemic. Um, And that's true, they did respond, and they responded massively. They responded at least as massively as they did in 2020. We'll get into some more details later, but the feds also responded. It's true that President Wilson said nothing, and that is weird, and that is really hard to imagine happening in a 2020 context. But the minute you go below President Wilson, you got his administration is going nuts dealing with the flu. And even with President Wilson, I think it probably had more to do with uh, a a deliberate political decision on his part, possibly health issues. Because in 19... (laughs) Sorry, I I can't help but laugh. Um, In 1916, there had been a a spate of shark attacks in New Jersey. And the Wilson administration got involved in that because it became a controversy, establishing like a federal anti-shark commission. Um, and trying to get the Coast Guard to prevent shark attacks, so it's not as though there was this sense that the federal government is just some big distant thing in 1918. That you just don't expect to do anything for you. Um, the Surgeon General is out there going going nuts trying to deal with the deal with the pandemic, even if even if the president himself is a wall. Congress votes the equivalent today of about 253 million dollars in pandemic response efforts, a lot of which goes to, and this relates to the first one truth.
1: Fake like news. Well, it, <laughs> it goes to what? To, to actually <laughs> to the government actually responding. And to, there was one to, thing that was that they did is they kind of just like wallpapered any kind <laughs> of federal building. Uh, to actually just tell people, hey, this is happening, just don't sneeze, uh, Mm -hmm. which is really hard to do, Uh, but uh, just to bring awareness of how bad the pandemic was and with the limited knowledge of how viruses worked or not limited, no knowledge actually Mm -hmm. whatsoever. The government did actually just print millions and millions of these pamphlets and posters, like the post office, just like wallpaper with this in many languages. Uh, And uh, Crosby, another historian that just worked on the Spanish (laughs) flu, said, if the have that could have been smothered by paper, many lives would have been saved.
2: This isn't an effectual federal response, but it's a federal response. And it's, again, it's like, not only are the newspapers screaming, like, hey, by the way, the neighbors that you knew are dying are actually dying, and this is happening everywhere. The federal government is just they're sending out manslets it's it's everywhere and they're
1: also just uh sending uh, medical personnel mm-hmm. uh to uh, around the country just put it at disposal to uh help with the pandemic so there are yes, compared to today, and we'll talk about that later. uh it seems that um not much was done, but we're thinking of other time where just medicine didn't really know much of what was happening uh, you know there were other private initiatives as well and in terms of coming out with a vaccine that was pretty much non-effective because they had no idea what was going on. They got the yeah. wrong
2: pathogen, right? Yeah. No, no one knew what a virus was, yeah. but they knew the things called Pfeiffer's Bacillus apparently yes. is, mm-hmm. is is uh, a lot of people who get the flu then get this infection from Pfeiffer's Bacillus, which turns out to have nothing to do with anything, but vaccinations and old technology. And so within months, there's a vaccine to Pfeiffer's Bacillus. So, if you're worried about that, you were safe. New York City actually spend New York City and the state spend millions of dollars of developing yeah. this. Mm-hmm. Thing.
1: Um, the city of Chicago as well.
2: Yeah. So yeah.
1: So so in that sense, we we do know that um, the you know the electorate could have and expected that the government was doing something, and at a local level, uh, there were many what is it called non pharmaceutical interventions mm. that were put in place. And, uh, but each city, each county just decided what to do. Uh, the federal government did actually just recommend lockdowns, but as we know, because of the beauty (laughs) of federalism in this country, that cannot make it compulsory. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you have, you know, just some cities did nothing, uh, which sounds familiar to uh, some (laughs) of your listeners (laughs) today. Uh, but some listen, some cities actually had mixed strategies. Um, for example, New York City just had a stack of business hours and isolation of cases, um, but um, in other places, there were bans of public gatherings, uh, churches, um, there's like all, all restaurants or All restaurants. Like, mm-hmm. are just, you know, they've been everywhere in the news about Philly versus St. Louis, you know. Uh, so there were just many things that the local governments were doing, and uh so the the you the electorate could see the government in action.
2: And it becomes, we're gonna caveat this because there's one huge dissert in 2020.
1: Mm-hmm. But
2: but it, it it becomes political. So mm-hmm. in New Jersey, you got this great quote from the governor who's saying the only campaigns that I am concerned with right now are the Liberty Loan campaign and the campaign to suppress the influenza
3: pandemic.
2: Um but that's because his administration is doing a lot to try and Suppress the influenza pandemic. At the same time, just like today, you get pushback from local government. So in Newark, the mayor of Newark basically first says no, then the state government says no. You need to shut down Newark. You can't let the bars operate. You can't let the restaurants operate. You can't let people go to church. So he says, okay, fine, but let's bars continue to operate, even though he's saying that he's not. And then. When the state government tells him that you can't do this, he says, "Okay, well, they have to close their front door, but they can still sell booze out the side door. And then um, and then eventually he just he just brazens it out and just kind of dares the state government to do anything. And the state government decides that the mayor of Newark is more powerful than the governor of the state of New Jersey, and they just let Newark go its merry way. California is a little bit more rigorous about this. When San Diego, when the city council votes that no, they're not going to have any lockdowns, they're not going to ban public gatherings, and they're certainly not going to require people that wear masks. The state government comes crashing down on them like a ton of bricks and forces them to do it. Uh, this does not add to the popularity of the governor in Southern California. And by the time the, the, the pandemic is really underway in November, you've got in California, and you can't make this stuff up the Anti-Mask League,
3: mm-hmm.
2: protesting against masks as an infringement on their liberty, and mail bombs being sent to officials in San Francisco. I think they intercepted ones going to the state government, but they actually go off in, in the oh, San Francisco wow. Board of Health.
1: Um, <laughs> the fines were high, for like, you were fine, <laughs> and you could be in prison, or you could be like newspaper shamed, your name would be printed in newspapers. You, you were canceled. Yes. <laughs> But, you know, so it was if you just were you were the fines for not wearing mass were ten dollars back then, which today, if you just update it with CPI is around one hundred and eighty dollars. But if you update it by wages, that is the point of six hundred and sixty dollars. So that's oh. not minimal. Right. <laughs> yeah. So there, there was some kind of really like a really just important effort to actually make people comply with yeah. things. In some parts of the country.
3: Mm. No
2: jurisdiction today has anything like what California did in 1918. I mean, California just like, wow. Like Leticia said, Mm -hmm. on the one end, you have New Jersey where uh, things look really strict on paper, but everybody's like, ah, it's New Jersey. What? No, we're not. No, screwed it (laughs) Can I say that on a podcast?
0: (laughs) I think so. Um, (laughs)
2: Hey, you know, it's New Jersey. You say, ah, we're not going to, (laughs) whatever. Meanwhile, in California, the, the, the state government's doing things that today would. Provoking an revolt and did provoke an armed yeah, revolt in nineteen eighteen i mean yeah. uh, I think there was also a like a, a riot in arizona over over some of the mandates too um and then there were and then it became a game a political issue in in the campaign again at the local level it was mostly again it's nineteen eighteen it's not a federal one directed mostly at sort of state governors is either doing a good job or a bad job. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but the difference is that it was not, uh, you know, it was did not align on party lines. It's not that, you know, just if you are from this party, you don't want to wear masks. It's just this was like there are some people from the Democratic Party and some people from the Republican Party that mm-hmm. really like the infringement on their on their liberty. So, exactly. so that is very different of what happened in this pandemic. But um, there was pushback. It was politicized, but in different ways.
2: You also got some just two two weird ones, which um I think actually open up for future papers. We're still trying to figure out exactly how to do this. So one is in New York, where the flu becomes extremely politicized in the in the in the gubernatorial campaign, where the Democrats are saying that the Republican incumbent administration is not doing enough to combat the flu. <laughs> one of the things the Republican administration does. <laughs> oh, the <depression>. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes yes we are and every time that al smith goes to give a speech somewhere upstate all of a sudden poof there's a flu outbreak and we need to lock this down and all oh. public gatherings are canceled so sadly this democratic rally
1: uh it's scheduled great. for austin
2: is just we can't do it so random, no, so random totally random
1: but we could you know we want to prevent the you know, the contagion. It's just clear, it's very clear that this is the you kind know, of yes. um, motivation. Obviously.
2: Yeah. And so, um, so,
3: <laughs>
2: so, so the Democrats protest this, and then ironically, the Democrats win, at which point the Republicans sue saying, oh no, because of the flu, you actually couldn't really run the election well, uh, because poll workers were sick, And the election isn't actually decided until January when all of these Republican lawsuits saying that the election is a mess because of the flu that we were running the response to um, doesn't get sorted out till January. So for all of the people who talk about how alien 1918 was, other than the fact that this isn't partisan, it's looking...
1: It's so, really? jump. it's so the temple
2: all over again, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and there are other subtler things, which we think someone should be work on. Um, these are the first campaigns where you get direct mail. Suddenly becomes a huge campaign tactic because people can't go door to door during the campaign and you can't hold public rallies. So you get the first big mass ad buys in newspapers and you get the first um, uh, mass mailings uh, during this campaign. And it's like, these are technologies that... Hmm are adopted um that we didn't do anything directly with this but it was kind of a neat discovery and it, it you would it it it's got to be nice that there's sort of this shock that leads to their adoption that, that there might be some sort of paper for grad students listening to this um in in that 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 things just change that that year
0: well this is absolutely fascinating i'm not sure if this is amusing or concerning um <laughs> I feel like it's both, right? It's, it's it's insane how similar a lot of these um, developments are. Um, also interesting what you mentioned that um, there are so many misconceptions that people cling to, even if you uh, show them conflicting data, right? That uh, would wonder how some of these things uh, get going, right? That people cling to specific narratives and then uh, they just sort of get reproduced until they become common knowledge. Um, maybe someone should start a journal to, like, um, collect these or dispel some of these kind of myths. Um, you mentioned one decided difference, though, right? Which was that it was not partisan in 1918. Were there any other important differences between those two pandemics?
1: We can characterize, you know, the, the Spanish flu pandemic as short and sharp. There were lockdowns, but the lockdowns did not last forever and a day. Um, and uh, but COVID is long and painful
3: mm. not
1: in that Spanish flu was not painful uh, but there was a very different a very different trajectory for uh for both pandemics so we're also in terms of who um uh, who became infected and um fell prey to to the Spanish flu what it was different is had what the epidemiologists call a w shape in terms of age structure. so Younger and older people died more, but also people in prime age, um, mm. age. So that is different. But if you just see that infection, you know, by age or the death rates by age in for COVID, when you see that just the people that are older are the ones that have died uh, much more relative to the rest of the uh, population by age structure. So in terms of that, we we know that there was that was different. Um, We don't talk about this in our paper because there are many people that have done really uh, interesting work, but from an economic perspective, the Spanish flu did have an impact because there were lockdowns, uh, staggered business hours, but you don't see a sharp drop in GDP. Hmm. You know, the economic activity not really collapsed the way that we saw it you know, during COVID times. And, and that is because the structure of the economy was really, really different. So if you think about it, as like for COVID, um, the service sector collapsed. But the service sector was not that important. It was like, actually was much smaller than it is today by a lot. It's mostly just in the during the Spanish flu pandemic, we have that most of the economic activity was agricultural manufacturing. And remember, there was a war going on. <laughs> so the war was the government was putting money just for government contracts to keep the machinery of the economy going.
2: Unplanned stimulus that hits it right the exact same time. But you know, as 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 Leticia said, the 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 exact, I mean, the, the real difference is just the speed that that it just rips through the economy. I mean, had it been more like COVID. It's not clear what would have happened, because you could not lock down so much of the economy as you can today. More right. people needed to be face-to-face for their jobs. And the sectors that you could shut down forever, bars and restaurants, the service sector in general, it's a much smaller chunk of the economy, as, as, as Leticia said. It's hard to, to, to sum it up. In, in, on the one hand, you can say that COVID looks to be about one third as bad as the Spanish flu. Overall, but that's over um, roughly sixty something weeks. Whereas the Spanish flu, by the by, the time you're in week twenty-four of the second wave, it's it's over. That's it. You've got herd immunity because you've just ripped through the American population, and it's not it's not coming back. There was, um, I guess, there was another difference, but this is um, a little bit a little bit more speculative, I, I I suppose, which is that today with COVID, you've got a population that just doesn't expect outbreaks. It just doesn't expect infectious disease really to be a problem at all at a gut level. Whereas in 1918, Infectious disease and deaths from infectious disease were sadly was something that was just much more common. It was mm. was an awful occurrence. I'm not sure. again this is this is I'm getting into pop sociology here, but i'm not I'm not sure that it had the same impact. It's a
1: question of i think that uh, of perception of how unusual right. they they knew it was unusual, but uh, dealing with disease was much more uh, common uh back then. Right. Uh, than it is today. But uh, once again, with, we're not psychologists, we cannot even play that for a TV. So <laughs> most of what we're thinking about like, what's, what is the difference between today and a uh, hundred years ago in terms of how people reacted to the threat of, uh, of a pandemic?
2: There is a pretty good paper on the economic impact, which he, he really has to use uh, as a, a researcher at the Fed you had to try and find some really high frequency data sources to to show it you know stuff that 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 shows up in weekly data because by the time you expand your viewpoint to to quarterly even it's barely there
1: yeah what we found because we just tried to recreate what he did to have an idea of the economic impact uh not only because you know when we talk people ask about that but also we teach and just you know students like well okay okay fine about like you know voting (laughs) but what about the economy Uh, so what we did find is a decrease in building permits uh during you know the height of the pandemic that's for sure uh so it was like something about you know Thirty uh, percent or something like that during those months, but then it just recovered. But if you just look, at, unfortunately, we don't have quarterly GDP for nineteen eighteen. Uh, but if you just look for nineteen eighteen per se, the GDP actually will, you know increased like seven point four percent. So so if you just uh, well, you cannot say the same thing for twenty twenty. Right. Uh, so so in that sense, um, the, the economic downturn did exist, but it was differential. Um, by sectors and some sectors actually just did pretty well. Retail. Um, does do you think that is going to drop? But there was also, you know, some reallocation toward like by mail?
2: Another really modern one. I mean, yes, oh, now that you mention it, right, we found that that it's it's grocery stores see a drop in sales, which is what you'd expect. Uh, what are called dime stores, so sort of just corner shops, see a drop, but department stores for some reason pick up possibly because you can do what we would call social distancing more easily and they're less affected by the, by the lockdowns. And mail order, I mean, in November, mail order sales go up, they go up 6% in October and then 13% in November, huh. which is, whereas the, the 10 cent stores drop 5% in September, 13% in October. A drug stores also do well, but that's, that's not- that's not surprising. Yeah. shocker there. So that, that looks kind of modern. I mean, it's not as big a shift because mail order is just not as easy as, as well, mail order by mailing in a coupon from a, a, a catalog that you somehow picked up somewhere is less easy than, you can tell my story in here, than mail order done by pushing a button on a computer screen. Right. Because it's still mail order. It's not the we don't have the flying drones coming to your house yet.
3: It's, it's <laughs> <the> <laughs>
1: Transaction costs. So that's what right. You're the transaction <laughs> costs are higher. It's like it's it's
2: higher. So it's not gonna be as perfect to substitute as it is today. But but that's what people do, even in the short two-month period.
1: Yeah, so but by, by the industrial sector, did see um decrease as well but it was sharp but like not very long lasting and the banking sector if you just look at it it's like it increased loans mm. uh, so so you have that going on so it's just a very mixed strategy let's call it but not a mixed strategy that was like this is you know the u.s before the new deal. so it's not talking about like this kind of uh, interventionist or, you know, the the federal government pumping money or just pumping funds into the economy as an anticyclical, you know, policy that, you know, macroeconomics had not been invented um, Mm. at that time, right?
2: I I mean, I guess the real thing to think macroeconomically is you've got, you've just got a sector here where you can, you can trade off, at least in the short run, production uh, intertemporary, Today you don't right a restaurant meal that someone doesn't consume because the restaurant shut down is a restaurant meal that's been lost and that's just a bigger chunk of the economy. Whereas during this period, I guess you'd be saying you got I don't know a factory working with half its personnel. But then when the flu burns itself out in that locality after six weeks, you then run double shifts, and by the time you're looking at quarterly, right. day, nothing there. And and orders are in, there's no just in time production. 18, right? Factory orders, the mili- most of it's military. What's not military even there are operating on these really long lead times. So the orders are still there. The orders don't dry up because of this, this pandemic shock. So just running factory, because it's such a different, clunkier thing back then, you could shut it down and restart in ways you can't today. Also inventory, right? Factories kept like massive amounts of inventory. Um, they're not, they're, they're, Something like this chip shortage we've been hit with it would have been really hard to happen because because information technology was so primitive that you had to keep just massive stores of inventory on on in your production facility, and your production facility was probably something where you had raw materials on one end and final products on the other in a lot of cases, or if you were using intermediate goods, you had massive stocks of them. Mm. not like today we have all these supply chains that can just Get really disrupted by a pandemic. There's not there's just not a whole lot to disrupt in a 1918 factory. I'm looking at the macroeconomist. Um, so, she- so basically,
1: there are two main factors. You know, so from an economic perspective, about like the impact of Spanish flu. One, there are structural factors like the the economy goes different. Um, <laughs> period.
2: Right. Politics uh, might have been a lot similar, but
1: <laughs> but second. This is a war economy, according right. to Rockoff. One fifth of all the national resources were devoted, you know, to fighting this war. So you have a stimulus, you know, but it was because of the war. So mm. these two things make them just very different compared to what we experience our people experiencing today. So,
2: so I guess as, a, as an upshot, you have economically the effects way smaller than you thought for something as devastating as it was. And then when you take into account the, the, the strength of the government reaction in 1918, it was also smaller than you'd expect because you still have lockdowns and these do last for two months. It's not, it's not like they just lock down for you know, three days and, and forget about it. They, they're not like today, <laughs> but they're not. They're not instantaneous either. But then voters react, voters turn against incumbents in areas where deaths are higher, but there's a lot of other things on voters' minds. So while you mm. you see the swing, and it's 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 impossible to kill the swing, and the swing seems to be causal. We're pretty sure of that. It's not. It's not that. It's not that big.
3: It's mm.
2: you know, that. It's not that huge. Um,
0: but it was effectual uh, in a sense, right? It it did swing the election to some extent. Can you say that?
2: Probably, I mean, not. probably other than, not. Other than it's this probably, governor's race yeah. in Maryland. Uh- <laughs> The swing against- The swings were much bigger back back then. then. That's that's the other thing. Politics was generally less sticky and you've got the huge swing against the Democrats for other reasons. Um, There's the open reason of agricultural policies pursued by the Wilson administration because of the war that have got farmers incredibly angry. Um, You then have this more submerged reason that the war is never as popular as casual observers think. Um, after World War II, there's some conflation of World War I right. and World War II. And so while World War I is popular and it is met with you know mass hysteria, there are lynchings of Germans. Um, you know, you actually do have liberty cabbage is an actual thing. Um there's a there's a stronger reaction to it and and just the kind of anger that really comes out like even post 19 and 1920 and later uh to the war that's bubbling that causes people to swing against the democrats um our our friend evan phillips has a paper on on war deaths and and the electoral swing uh not in 19 but in the 1920 election and there you can you can clearly see a swing against against um we're we're actually looking at this also in terms of the, the 1918 election and it seems to be that there you do see a swing that in in areas more affected by the war, there's more of a of a vote swing against the incumbents. And I'll I'll be honest, not all wars are alike. It would be interesting to compare World War One and World War II because I would be shocked if there was a swing against the incumbents in say 1942 or 44 based on how many young men were coming home in body bags.
3: Mm.
1: Where
2: it seems like you do see that in in
1: 1918 so, to, so so to put like you know the economists in me just want to talk numbers so you have an idea by the I way that was a like paper comment. idea <laughs> so,
2: so <laughs> someone should go and write
1: so like you know the basically uh during the uh 19 election so there was a one 4.1 uh percentage point swing in favor to uh of the gop and our estimations and you know with Oh, the fury, glory, and everything. We just can have maybe zero point seventy five percentage points.
3: You mm. know,
1: so in and we did. You know, we tried to say, okay, let's see how many, how many um, counties. You know, just this this result were actually flipped, You know, the the particular congress seat and uh, and nothing. We got
3: mm. nothing
1: in terms of flipping. So. Uh, which as i we told you before uh, was kind of disappointing because this is a huge shock you know just like this is a huge shock you know just w- what are both voters thinking right
2: but it's where history is messy if this weren't occurring in the middle of world war one and right. and these swings against the wilson administration because of world war one it likely would have been bigger and that's why we do find a slightly bigger result for, for
3: mm-hmm. gubernatorial
2: elections yeah. there's still these big swings i mean there's. Politics in general, then uh, this is a, this is a standard finding that political scientists have is, is is less sticky than it is today. Voters are less entrenched in in their partisan valence, at least outside the South. And we throw out the South as basically not democratic or insular.
3: That mm, yeah, um, fair yeah. enough.
2: You, you know, election elections and mm. I guess the listeners can't see me
3: making <laughs> <little Close>. scare air
2: quotes. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, you've got elections in Alabama, um, right. but you have real elections in Illinois and New York and California, and swings are just massive between yeah, elections. The, the swing in New York State is just unbelievable today um, by, by modern standards, which is kind of hard to imagine a Republican winning.
1: But the the allegiance toward, you know, with some particular um, party were not as um there were just, there was much more people that just weren't just like swinging one way to another. Right. So I, when we started just looking at the swing, uh, which just first was like, is this right? Uh, that was <laughs> our first, the first, my, my first question was like, every time I just look like, is this right? <laughs> uh, because it doesn't seem right. Uh, so- Well, you, 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 I mean, one thing we said is
2: we've explained about a fifth of the swing, okay? That's not small. It's just, it was a giant swing. So we've, we've explained, you know, the. The, the Spanish flu explains a of, a of which simply happened to be a very
3: massive swing. It's not.
1: Yeah, it's but not. we haven't found any particular county that for house elections that would actually have flipped the seat. There were big swings. Wow. Yeah, big giant, big. It was
2: a big swing, and it just swung even more in places with a lot of flu deaths, and it swung less in places that didn't have. But yes, that's, <laughs> that's unsatisfying. It's kind of, gosh, the problem is, this is actually not, it's, it's almost certainly causal that, that it happened in the war. They're not.
1: Underwater. Yeah, so, you know, the pain of the call, social science existence is endogeneity, right? So, uh, we yeah. know, maybe some other things that we're not taking into account, right? Uh, so, yeah, for those of you that just really like uh, instrumental variables are click, you know, and just you can download the paper and you can just um, do uh, just look at our um, empirical strategy, but um, Suffice to say is that we believe that this is causal we have different instruments in order to convince you that that is to true, but some people don't believe in instruments or in our instrument and so we just did what this exercise that is called selection of observables, which is a very fancy name to say, hey, how much would like omitted variables or other things that we don't take into account have to account for to actually do away with all the results? And it has to be really, really large, like in one case, like 40 times, in another case, five times. Uh, so from five to 40 times, all the omitted variables would have to actually be so that we have missed it so much that this or well, result uh, is actually just erased for us. Uh, but overall, this is how we're finding it is interesting, but not as satisfying as we wanted it to be. Um, so then we decided to just go to another head scratcher. right? <laughs> right. <laughs>
2: Oh, should should we should we should we talk about the uh, the 2020 election and what we found about COVID in the 2020 election?
1: Because at the yeah. end of the day, we wrote the Spanish newspaper paper because we're motivated by COVID. Of uh, course, so then of we're course. just like, hey, this is like let's see what happened.
0: You know, of course, like one of the reasons that we study history is because it's fun. But um, <laughs> the other reason is that we try to um, maybe rely on the past to inform us about what happens in the present or the future, right? So in what sense can your insights from the Spanish flu epidemic explain or maybe inform us about uh, the 2020 election or the uh, economic impact of COVID as well? Would you have been less surprised maybe if uh, you had written this paper two years earlier?
2: Weirdly, no. Um, we would we would not have been less surprised if we'd written it two years earlier. Um, the Spanish flu was a huge a huge hmm. event, and we would have expected a big a big swing. But we were surprised that when the first reports came out about COVID and the 2020 election, which is a presidential election year, so things are different, all of the news outlets were reporting a positive correlation between COVID deaths and the vote for Donald Trump over Joe Biden, that holding everything else equal, COVID seems to have increased the Republican vote share. And
1: actually, NPR did a simple correlation. There were no controls.
2: That's true. But when we added controls.
1: When we added controls, yeah.
2: It stayed. It seemed as though. We
1: thought it was like, oh, you know, they did a simple correlation. What are they doing? <laughs> right. You're not controlling for things. Like we can do better. And then we just control all the things and the results still help. So it's like, oh. So we looked well, for
2: instruments and we found some really good ones having to do with uh underlying health conditions that that contributed to COVID mortality, ooh. but which should not have affected the election. And it still holds. So we put other
1: instruments uh as well because we had a lot of fun. No, we didn't have a lot of fun. Find <laughs> an instrument is never fun. Uh so uh Distance to hubs, you know, that had flights from China, from Europe, frequency, like distance, all those things that are, you know, uh, you know, supposedly not endogenous. Uh, so, and the the results still hold.
2: So either the laws of of politics had changed dramatically, which is not impossible, because in in some ways, the closest parallel to the 2020 election is actually the congressional elections of 1794 and 1793 there's a yellow fever outbreak in Philadelphia and it becomes politicized in a way that a 2020 audience would find really familiar in a way that 1918 didn't because the 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 republicans want to blame the federalists um particularly for allowing in all of these refugees from Hayden who are blamed for bringing in the yellow fever. The Federalists, the Republicans also wanna blame, um, uh, sorry, I I got that backwards. This is bad in a podcast. The Federalists blame the Republicans for that. The Republicans wanna blame the Federalists um, because I don't know their urban depravity or something. Um, They start to promote different cures. Alexander Hamilton actually starts to promote a cure Uh, promoted by a childhood buddy of his, which involves warm baths and drinking wine. Uh, So the Republicans start to say, no, you actually need to bleed people out uh, to cure yellow fever. And so there's this fight between the Federalist cure and the Republican cure.
1: I I will take Hamilton's cure any day.
2: Hamilton's cure had the benefit of, of not actually hurting. But as
1: usual, I just kind of agree with Hamilton, you know, when in doubt.
2: When in doubt when in doubt, do in it, doubt do, it, it to, do, do it do it, now, at it.
1: Yeah. Um and so that 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 you know you
2: read about about the, 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 the political response to the yellow fever epidemic of 1793 and, and that starts to read a lot like 2020. So maybe maybe things just really were different today compared to 1918. And 1918 was more I mean this is weird, 1918 was more normal, even by modern standards than. 2020? I mean, I'm I'm old, I'm 50 years old, but I find the politicization of everything really bizarre. I mean, I'm 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 old enough to remember when being a Democrat or a Republican, was kind of like number 17 on how interesting you were list and didn't really <laughs> say much about you. Uh, the uh, the idea though that we then had was to all right, let's look at say the number of votes as opposed to vote shares. And see if COVID has an effect on that. Because normally, if there was simply a swing, what you would expect is that COVID should have a statistically significant negative effect on the number of Democratic votes, or the number of Democratic votes as a percentage of the citizen voting age population, and a positive one on on Republican. And if people were voting Republican because of, of COVID, the way we would normally think about it, You should see the Democratic votes going down and Republicans going up. On the other hand, what we found, which is sort of our hypothesis, was you see that more COVID deaths drive the number of Democratic votes down and have no effect on Republicans. And our interpretation of this, and this is preliminary, is that for all of the switch to mail-in voting, the way the campaigns began to portray um, that you know, mail in voting was both a democratic thing to do, but that going to the polls was was dangerous. Um, but that Democrats accepted that that might be dangerous, whereas Republicans did not, might have depressed Democratic turnout. So that even though you still have a big swing towards the Democrats, the swing is smaller. Or now, thing,
1: let's be precise. We're not saying that went because turnout, turnout, because turnout went down. Turnout went up. Overall, so, the turnout went up. But, but relative. Relatively speaking. So, because we're not saying that, I don't, we don't want to be accused of saying like what turnout went down. No, it didn't. It actually just historically the highest in 100 years, right?
2: A big difference from 1918, by the way, where turnout was depressed, not because of the pandemic, pandemic. it was just just crashing. The political machinery
1: was different. Uh, So, turnout went up in the 2020 election. But if you break it down into party lines, you see that as a different behavior at the ballot box or at, you know from your home uh, when you were actually voting, and Republicans were just really not afraid of COVID, uh, apparently. Uh, well, Democrats were.
2: The more the more deaths in your county, uh, the the less Democratic turnout goes up relative to Republican, and again that that conceals because we're looking at votes. So some of these votes are people who switched. From the Republican side to the democratic side, so, but, or vice um, versa uh,
1: the people in the middle that swing around right, and you know people can say, "Well, but you know that depends you know in some states, it's easier to vote than others, right, and this is where econometric magic happens state, right
2: state it's fixed effects
1: <laughs> to the rescue, uh, because that was the first question that political scientists asked, it's like, well, but you know Pennsylvania versus New York versus Washington State, very different. It's like, yes, we control that. <laughs> it has fixed effects, and that is magic.
0: So we will leave it here for this week, and I will present the second half of my conversation with Leticia and Noel next week, so be sure to tune in then. Thank you for listening to the Political Economy Forum. Please feel free to listen to our other episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You might also like our special podcast on election security, Neither Free Nor Fair, which is hosted by Professor James Long and is also available on all major platforms. Our podcasts are produced by Morgan Wack and myself, Nicholas Witschduck. Our theme music was created by Ted Long. Please feel free to leave a review as we are curious about your feedback and if you have any questions, suggestions, or concerns. please contact uwpoliticaleconomy at gmail.com we would love to hear from you